if you have your Bibles there, we're going to... Actually, let me, just, let me just read it to you because um, I'm not really going to read it to you. I'm going to sort of tell you a story. Is that all right? It's found in Daniel chapter 3. But we're still continuing our series on Hebrews heroes from Hebrews chapter 11 where, um, you know, the writer of the Hebrews goes through and, and lists off these amazing heroes. And he starts that whole chapter with now faith. And you can sort of miss that now because it says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. But it starts with now. And the thing about faith is, faith is a now thing. It's not a, I've had it before thing. It's not a, I'm going to get it thing. It's, it's a now thing. And you have to develop, excuse me, eyelash. You have to develop now faith. And I can remember actually, we were in a church once that Dale and I were pastoring and, and God was starting to do stuff and, and someone said to us, oh yeah, we've seen that before. And we sort of went, how do you, how do you take that approach to life? But their thing was, oh, we had faith in that before, so we don't need it now. But faith is an ongoing thing that you have to constantly build into your life. You have to have now faith, expecting God to move now. You can't say, oh, I had faith for healing back then, so I've still got faith for healing now. Or I had faith that God would provide back then, so he'll, you know, it's okay now. You have to keep renewing your faith. You have to keep putting in faith. And you know, Romans tells us that faith comes by what? By hearing. By hearing what? The Word of God. So you have to constantly be feeding your faith the Word of God. You can't run on what you had before. It's like, it's like me saying, well, I ate potatoes, you know, two years ago, so therefore I never have to eat again. All right? You can't do that. You have to, I have to keep feeding myself the potatoes, right? Or whatever else goes with that. I like potatoes. <laughs> potatoes are yummy. Have you ever had cold mashed potatoes and you put it on like a, like a piece of bread and you add like tomato and beetroot and a bit of salad and It's like, it's like a chip buddy, but slightly colder, you know. Because <laughs> chip buddies are really nice, aren't they? You know, you had those? Bread, a little bit of butter, and then you put chips on it. You all hungry now? <laughs> but you can't run on something that you ate a year ago. You have to be eating now. I can't even run on a memory of something I ate a year ago. All right, you have to be putting in the Word of God, now faith. And that's really what helps you to become a Hebrews hero. That what these guys did in Hebrews, we look at the, what they did, you know, to Abraham and, you know, the amazing stuff he did and where he went. And, and it goes through and talks about Daniel and it talks about Moses and, and all these, David and all these guys. And you read it and you sort of go, wow, that's incredible. These guys are like, you know, super spiritual guys way up there, but they're not. They were people just like you and me. I mean, David. David was an adulterer. The guy had a massive weakness for women. His son had the same issue. In fact, he had so many wives, they led him astray. And when you look at these guys and we put them up on a pedestal, whereas they don't belong up on a pedestal. 
They were everyday people who discovered the power of God's word. And you can too. You can be a hero of the faith simply by putting in the word of God and you can overcome any situation that comes your way. Which going to change how we think. See, we think, we've been taught to think in terms of what is natural, what is here, what is in this place. We learn to, we've learned to think by our senses, you know. If I can see it, if I can smell it, if I can touch it, if I can taste it, if I can hear it, then it must be true. Because that's what science says, isn't it? And Dale and I were talking the other day about how, you know, this is the thing that sort of creeps into the church sometimes that we have to justify the Bible by science. Well, that's not true. Science should be justifying itself by the word. Because what we're finding is science is constantly changing to actually prove what the Bible says is true. For years it's been saying this and this and this, and all of a sudden they discover this new revelation, and hey, guess what? It lines up with what God's word says. Now, science is a good thing, and we, it is a good way of doing it, but science, you know, science works on your five senses, but God's given us a sixth sense. Yongi Cho talks about walking in the fourth dimension. You know, you've got three dimensions that we can see and experience, but there's a fourth dimension, the spiritual dimension, and that's where we're supposed to reside and where we're supposed to walk. But we're too often conditioned to think like the world thinks and say, you know, we've got to be able to see, feel, touch, hear, whatever it is, before we believe it. But that's not how God made you. So I want to talk about three guys. We'll call them Rack, Shack, and Benny. Because that's what VeggieTales calls them. You know, and the world according to VeggieTales is, is one of the higher orders of life, isn't it? If you don't know who VeggieTales are, go home and Google it and entertain yourself for a good couple of hours. <laughs> but it's actually three guys called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And Hebrews 11 actually refers to them because it says in verse 33, you know, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. Who does that make you think of? Daniel. And the very next bit says, quench the violence of fire. And that's talking about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But because that's just too long to keep saying all day, we're going Rakshak and Benny, okay? Is that all right? All right. Now, who is Rack, Shack, and Benny? You find him in Daniel chapter 3. Now, Daniel's one of those books that, you know, as you go looking for it, you find it hard to find. And I just pulled my marker out, so, you know, now I've got to find it again. But these guys are in interesting times. There's a lot of symbolism and a lot of stuff in Daniel that can be a little crazy to understand. But there's also some amazing stories that are really worth reading. But Daniel's this guy... As a Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're guys who are in Judah, and this guy called King Nebuchadnezzar, who is the king of Babylon, he comes down, and this guy is pretty well taken over the world. And he comes down, and he takes over Judah. And what Nebuchadnezzar used to do was he would get, whenever he invaded a place, he would get the smartest, brightest 
young people he could find, the young men who were the smartest and the brightest. And he would grab them and bring them back with him back to Babylon. And he'd school them for three years, send them to school for three years. At the end of the three years, if they met the grade, they would become his counsellors and his wise men. It's actually where our schooling system comes from. You know, you go to university for how many years? If you actually go full-time and actually do your one course. <laughs> it's a three-year course. All right? It actually comes out of his. And you need to understand, Babylon, 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 get the right place, Babylon actually throughout the Bible is symbolized as the world system. All right? You need to understand that as we go through the story. This is the world system and the world's way of thinking. This is what Babylon typifies. So Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and a few other guys are taken, and they're put into to Babylon, and they're sent to school there. Now, what they would do is they would, um, you know, they would always get the, the choice bits to eat, and they would take food, and they would dedicate it to the idols in the area, and then they would take that food, and that was a food that the, the kids in the school and the wise men would eat. Now it was always all the creamy stuff, you know, it was all the nice cakes and it was all the, you know, beautiful roasted pig, nicely done and, you know, Hannah's favourite. <laughs> and they would take all this really rich food and all the really, you know, the, the high quality wine and they would feed all the students and all the wise men this food. And so they'd all get fat on, you know, the goodness of this king. But it was all food that had been dedicated to idols beforehand and then fed to them. Now Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego all sit there and they face this situation and they don't want to eat food that's been offered to idols. And it also goes against their culture as Israelites as to what they could and couldn't eat. So they convinced the steward to give them for 10 days just some vegetables and some healthy food. And at the end of 10 days, the steward looks at them and he says, wow, you guys are much healthier than everybody else who's been gorging themselves on all the fatty pig bits and, you know, and all these cakes. And so he continues to feed them in that way. And they start to stand out as wiser than all the rest. Because they made a choice to live as God had called them to live. Anyway, time goes on and Nebuchadnezzar builds this statue. And it's like out in the plain in the middle of the desert. And he builds this, it's like, you're talking statue, it was absolutely massive. You know, bigger than the bell tower. Because that's so huge. He builds this statue that's bigger than the bell tower, made of gold. And he makes this rule. He says, everybody has to come and bow down. Now at this time, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego have the king's favour because Daniel's interpreted a dream for the king. And so they're all in there and, and they're working for the king in his government offices. And so the king gets all of his government workers, takes them out into this plane and says, when the music plays, bow down to the idol. And so Daniel must have been pretty fortunate. He, I think he was off on a business trip somewhere else. He wasn't there at the time. But Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego are there. And they're like, we can't bow down to this. And so the music starts and everybody bows down and they're standing out there just watching. 
And a few people around them, because there's lots and lots of people, so the king couldn't really see them all. But a few people around them, and it says actually the Chaldeans. And the Chaldeans are described as the sorcerers and those who do witchcraft. So those who are working for the devil. Dob in Shrakshak and Benny. And say, these guys won't bow down. They take him up to the king. Now the king is actually, if you read it, he's actually quite nice with them. Because he knows who they are. He knows that Daniel interpreted the dream that, you know, put his mind at ease. He knows that these guys have got something special and they're, they're some of his best stuff. And so he says to them, look, you've got one more chance. We're going to play the music again. You can bow down. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, look, says, you can play the music all you like. We're not going to bow down because there's only one true God. And we know the punishment for not bowing down is we actually get thrown into the fire. But our God can deliver us. And even if he doesn't, we're still not going to bow down. And it says Nebuchadnezzar's countenance changed towards them. He, knows, he got real grumpy and angry. And he says, that's it. You're going to bow down? No, not going to bow down? Okay, to the fire for you. So he drags them across to where this furnace is going. And Nebuchadnezzar says to the people, I want you to make the fire seven times hotter. I want to make sure we barbecue these guys. So they stoke up the fire. Then they get Rakshak and Benny. And, you know, they're fully dressed and they just bind them up, hands, feet, legs, everything. Just bind the whole lot of them so they can't even walk. And then Nebuchadnezzar gets his mighty men, it says. So he gets the really big, tough guys who's from his personal guard and says, throw them in the fire. So his personal guard picks up these three guys, carries them over to the fire, and the flames are so hot that the guards themselves die. That's how hot the fire is. As they're throwing them in, they get hit by the flames and they die. So Rakshak and Benny are in the fire. And the fire's so hot, it burns off, you know, all their ropes. But they're not touched. They're walking around in the fire. They're having a chat. And then the king looks in. And he sees not three of them, but he sees four people there. And he turns to his counselors and he says, how many do we throw in? They go, yeah, you threw in three. He says, then why do I see four? And the fourth looks like the son of God. Jesus is hanging out in the fire with Rakshak and Benny. And the king's freaking out a little bit, as you would. So he calls them out. And they come out. And their hair isn't singed. Eyebrows are all perfectly plucked still. They don't even smell of smoke. Because this fire, even though it's seven times hotter than a normal fire, did not touch them. And the king issues a new decree. Says, the God of Rakshak and Benny is the God of gods. And he worships him. He said, it bows down before these three guys and he worships God. And then he takes the three guys and he promotes them. in their positions higher up in his government. Isn't that cool? Don't you just want to go find a fire and jump in it? (laughs) No? (laughs) What do we learn from this account of these amazing guys, of these guys thrown in a fire and come out? What can we learn from them? 
I just want to take out a few quick points because I feel the coffee is calling. <laughs> but I want us to take away something here because I really want us to get a change in our thinking. We hear these stories and we think about Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and we think, wow, they're amazing guys and you know, isn't that awesome? But it's actually not about them. It's about God. All these guys did was they connected with God and they put God into them and them into God. And so when the time came, they were ready and the fire couldn't touch them. Let's just take a couple of things away quickly. First of all, there are times you're going to be in places you don't want to be. All right, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not want to be in Babylon. All right, they didn't get to take their families or anything else. It was just them. Bam, you're coming. And when when they dragged you off like that, you went for life. There was no going home. So they were in a place they didn't really want to be. And they had a choice to be when they were there. They could be grumpy. They could be annoyed. They could be painful and saying, I don't want to be here. Why don't we work for the stupid king? Isaac was here and said, you said stupid. You know, and they could have had an attitude and how can we undermine the king and how can we take him out, you know. But they didn't. They came and they served God by serving the king. You know, they could have gone, oh, well, we're here. Let's make the most of it. Bring on the food. They went, no, no, no. That stuff ain't good for us. And it's been dedicated to their idols. But we're dedicated to our God. See, often you get in situations you don't want to be there and we get grumpy with God. And we go, God, I don't want to be here. I don't want to be in this place. Why do I have to do the only Blah, 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 blah. You know what Jesus says to you? Didn't really want to go to the cross either. And until what you're doing compares to being crucified, stop whinging. Because your attitude is everything. Your attitude is everything. If you are where you are and you don't like where you are, then you take that to God, but you still serve. You serve in that place like you're serving God. You may not like the job, you may not like the people, you may not like whatever it is, but you serve in that place like you're serving God. Because you are God in that place. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were God in that place. They were God's representatives, his ambassadors in that place. And if they had not made a, if they'd got grumpy and had an attitude and not made a stand for God, then those people would never had a revelation of God. And they would have blocked the blessing that God brought down upon them. I mean, Joseph was the same. You know, Joseph ends up in Egypt. He ends up in prison. First he's a slave, then he goes to prison. Not a lot of promotion there. But because he had a right attitude, God promoted him and he became prime minister. Daniel was the same. Daniel had the right. You read further chapter 2. He has this right attitude. And he interprets the king's dream. And the dream makes him the prime minister over Babylon. It doesn't matter where you are, God can turn your circumstance around and bring profit to you. It doesn't matter where you are, he can transform your situation. It comes down to how are you looking at it. 
He has a way through. He's put you there because you are his ambassador. All right, second thing. To be who you are made to be, you need to put in the right things. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they could have taken in all that food and gone, oh, who cares? They're only dead, dumb idols. doesn't matter. No, no, no. And that was the real reason they rejected the food. One, it wasn't good for them. It was against some of their laws. But two, it had been dedicated to idols. It was given over. It was a symbol before them of everything that was wrong. Because remember, Babylon represents the world and the world system. And they've gone, no, we've got a higher system. It's interesting, all these guys trying to work in the Babylonian system, and yet it was those who worked in God's system that got promoted. They were the ones that they used. And that's what it is. So you can't get ahead by trying to do things the world's way. You only get ahead by stepping into God's way. And you know, God's way is usually the opposite of what everyone else is doing. They chose to put in the right things. You have to choose to put in the right things. You have to choose to feed yourself on the Word of God. See, the world out there is, is dining out on terrible news. I, I think I heard, I heard a, a, a news, I'm trying to think what it says, but it was, it was a new promotion in the news. And it was like one of those, you know, um, when you see this story on sharks, you won't want to go in the water again. That was the promo. And I'm going, people are feeding on this. There's a world out there that's feeding on fear. One of the first things that they teach when you do, like um, people learning how to do like stock markets or investing and so on, is they say you have to try and take out the fear and the greed. Because most people fail in their investing because they're either operating out of fear and they're worried they're going to lose their money or out of greed and trying to make too much. And they lose out. How do you take the fear and greed out? You get into faith. How do you get into faith? You get into the Word of God. When you feed on the Word of God, it starts to change how you think. And you have to feed more Word of God than you do Word of the World. Daniel, Rakshak, and Benny, they represented God and they needed to be feeding on the good stuff of God. Even though everyone around them was feeding on the stuff of Babylon, the stuff of the world. That's where you've got to be. You can't be doing what everyone else around you is doing and expect a different result. You have to be doing something different. The thing that makes you stand out is you have the Word of God and you need to be feeding on it. Psalm says morning and night. Morning and night, feed upon it. He says when you do, then you start to prosper. You become like a tree planted by streams of living water that grow up and flourish. You'll knock down walls. (laughs) But you do. You step into a whole new paradigm. And that's how these guys go into the fire with confidence. Because they weren't feeding themselves on the stuff of the world. They were feeding themselves on the stuff of God. They were putting in his word. So their thinking was different. That no matter what obstacle came against them, they knew they could overcome it. So when it came to the fire, they went, it's just fire. Our God can overcome fire because he created it. And God is in you, isn't it? I mean, do you think that Jesus, you know, if Jesus walked in the room and there was a massive fire, do you think he could walk through the fire? Of 
course we do. Why do we think that? Well, he's God. You know what? He's inside you. And you're inside him. So nothing is impossible. You just need to change how you think. How do you change how you think? You put in the word of God. See, the world has conditioned you to think a certain way. And when you feed upon what it says and hear what it's saying all the time, you do. You become afraid of going in the water because of the sharks. Why? Because someone told you you should be. And they kept telling you. And they keep telling you. And they keep telling you. But imagine if you actually put the word of God in as much as you hear about the sharks. How much faith you'd have. Because the Bible says that you actually have dominion over all creation. So you can speak to a shark and go, yeah, fishy, fishy, fishy. If you wanted to ride a shark, you actually could. Because it has to come into submission for you. Did you know that? That's what the Bible says. All right, moving on, because the coffee's calling. All right. Three, there's going to be challenges in life. We live in a fallen world, so there's going to be a challenge. It's going to present a challenge to the way you think. All right, just because you decide, hey, I'm going to live for Jesus, I'm going to live a life of faith, doesn't mean that everything's going to be smooth. Because you have a clash of systems. All right? You have a life of faith. The world out there has a life of fear. Because that's what Satan gives out. You see, you don't suddenly, when you're walking in faith and you stop walking in faith, you don't suddenly have nothing. That's what Satan had. Satan was an angel of light. He was head of the worship team. He was a creature of faith. He was an angel. When he stepped out of that, that faith had to be replaced by something and it was replaced by fear. Because his fear is, I'm going to hell to suffer for all eternity. He doesn't own hell. Hell was created for him for all eternity. He just wants to take as many people with him as he can because he's a wuss. So when he lost faith, he stepped into fear because he is afraid of where he's going. And so he peddles that fear and gets fear out there because he knows that if we start to fear, we aren't in faith. And when we start to fear, we don't become who we're meant to be. and We start to doubt ourselves. And we start to think wrong. That's why you've got to put the Word of God in because when you hear the Word of God, you know, read it out loud to yourself. Get, on, get the SEC app and get it playing so you can hear it. But you also got to be reading it, seeing it. Because when you do, that creates faith. And suddenly you're faced with impossible situations and they become possible. Because the world is going to throw stuff at you. The world is going to throw challenges. But it's in those challenges that people see God. If everything was smooth in your life, if there were no fiery situations, then everyone goes, oh, it's easy for you. You see, your faith isn't tested when everything's going well. Your faith is tested when there's a challenge in front of you. And how you operate in that challenge shows where you're really at. So expect bad stuff. But expect to be above the bad stuff. 
Stuff's going to come your way, but you can overcome it. The other day, I, was, I went down to Violet for a couple of days to have a bit of a prayer retreat with God, and I walked out. And where I was in this place, you know what I mean, a mile up? You know what a mile up is? It's about half an hour this side of Bunbury. All right? It's a place where there literally is nothing. All right? And, and it wasn't just there. I was in a place that was about seven minutes out of mile up in the middle of nowhere. Like, literally, you walked out and you're in the middle of nowhere. And let's not work out how it happened, but I ended up with a flat tire. So I walked out of this house I was staying in, and I, I took my little gets up, because I thought it'll be fine, and discovered that I was driving on very sandy roads to get to this place. And uh, it helps to know how to drive in the bush. But I got a flat, so I walked out, and my tire's flat. And I went, no, it's a, real, you know, it's a bit annoying. So I grabbed the spare out, put the spare on, and the spare was low too. And I'm going, ugh. So I thought, it's a seven-minute drive to town where I could bet you there's no service station. <laughs> I'm going, do I chance it? Because otherwise then it's another ten-minute drive out to the, the highway and to a service station. And I'm going, Okay. So I go, okay, God, this is a faith trip because that tire is too low to drive on. It ain't going to do a journey that far. And so I got in the car and drove. You know what? I drove into town. Would you believe the town has one store, you know, your general store, like your deli? And out the front, there's an air machine. Because I was driving out and I'm going, do I go, because it comes to the road, do I go that way to the town? Do I go that way to the highway? Highway's further away, but I know there's a service station. But God says, no, go that way. I'm going, there's no, ser- I know there's no service station there. Town has a population of 10, you know, you don't put a service station there. But there's an air machine and God knows. You know, and I got there, time was fine, everything was good. This is where I tell you that I was packing up the next day and I opened one of the cupboards the place I was staying at and there's a jolly air compressor sitting in the bottom of the cupboard. <laughs> it pays to listen before you get in the car. Because <laughs> I'm pretty sure God would have said, open the cupboard. <laughs> but he looks out for you. He takes care of you. You know, I mean, I look at that tire, the tire's fine, the rim's fine, everything's fine and it shouldn't be. All right, number four. When you feel pressured in life, understand that Satan will turn up the heat. Like Abel Wilson says, how hot does fire have to be to burn you? It just has to be fire, right? Fire as fire burns you. Anyone agree with that? Yeah? You don't have to make it twice as hot. It's going to burn you as fire, isn't it? But Nebuchadnezzar turned the fire up seven times hotter. And that's what Satan does, you know. You know, we go, you know what, we're going to get out of debt and we're believing God to help us to get out of debt. You know, oh, I'm believing God for my healing. Or I'm believing God that we can go and do this or that or into this relationship or for that job or whatever it is. And you start to believe God. And what happens? Bills come in. And the pressure goes on because, oh, I don't know, how we, you know, oh, I have to go and use my credit card again to pay the bills. Or you start to feel sick. Or have you noticed that when you don't feel well, people come and tell you about the time they weren't well? 
and how bad it was. You know, when, when, I, had, when, when I had this thing on my, my back and my neck, I discovered that one of the guys I worked with, he'd actually had a similar thing and he went and had the full operation and, and gave me the full rundown of what had happened to him and had the full operation. And he came to the end of it, he says, you know, but it was the best thing that ever happened to me. I had it three years ago and now I'm fantastic. And it starts to put pressure on you to go the world's way of dealing with it. I'll go and get the operation. The very next day, he was actually off work because it was flared back up again. And pressure comes on you. You know, suddenly things happen at work and you're not so secure about your job or, you know, whatever it is, the pressure comes on and the fire gets turned up. That is not the time to be afraid and bow down to the idol. That's the time to stand up and put in the Word of God. Just start putting it in. If you're going, look, I don't have time to read, you know, Get yourself a podcast. We can tell you who they are if you want to know. Just get them and put them in your car. Put them on a CD, whatever it is, and start listening. And start to build your faith up and change your perspective. See, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had a different perspective. Everyone else saw fire, hot, burn. Not good. Shadrach, Meshach, and went, fire, huh, God can handle it. And people go, well, why didn't God deliver them before they got in the fire? Well, why should he? He wasn't worried about it. In the fire, out the fire, they weren't getting burnt. And that's how you need to be. It doesn't matter where I am, I'm under God's blessing. Wherever you are, God's taking care of you. And if worse comes to worse, he doesn't take care of you and you die, well, you go to heaven, so there's no loss. Maybe for us, because you're not around, but you know. But there's no loss. But Satan will turn up the heat. Don't stress about it. Just put the word of God in. Change how you think. The Bible's full of amazing stories. We should change how we think. Let me finish really quickly with a story about a guy called Elisha. And Elisha was chatting with the king and he said to the king, oh, by the way, your enemy's going to come and this is their plans. He told the king their plans. And so the king sent the army out on the word of Elisha and actually stopped what this opposing king was going to do. A few days later, Elisha came and saw the king again and said, oh, by the way, your enemy king is going to do this again and he's going to do that. And so the king went, cool, sent his army out and stopped what was happening. It happened about three or four times. And eventually this enemy king gets frustrated. And he says, he pulls in all his, all his, keys, his head soldiers and says, who's telling them what we're doing? Who's telling them what our, what our plans are? And they said, it's not us. He said, it's Elisha. The prophet's going and telling him what our plans is. He's going into the heavenlies, seeing what we're doing. God's telling him. And then he's telling the king. You can do that, by the way. You can go in the heavens and God will tell you the plans and purposes that will make your business or where you are more successful. You'll be able to talk to your bosses or your clients or whoever it is, and you'll be able to actually discern God's will for them and, and change it. So anyway, this army goes, that's enough. We're going to take out Elisha. So they go, send his whole army down to send one guy out. And Elisha's sort of in his house on the hill, and they surround that hill completely. And Elisha's servant, Gehazi, sort of his right-hand man, you know, he's sort of in training, and he, Gehazi walks out the front door, you know, to get a bucket of water, and all he sees is this army surrounding him all around. 
and he freaks out. You know, he slams the door and says, Elisha, we're in trouble. We're going to die. The whole army's out there to take us. And Elisha goes, don't freak. It's cool. God's got it. He's going, no, you don't understand. The whole army's out there. He says, come with me. And they walk out the front door. And Elisha says to God, open up Gehazi's eyes. You see, we look with our natural eyes, but we need to learn to look with our spiritual eyes. And God opens up Gehazi's spiritual eyes, and between them and this army is a mighty host of angel soldiers standing between them. And that army could not touch them because those angels were there. You see, it all comes down to how you look. If you look with fear, then you'll see the problem. But if you will look to God, you'll see the solution. You'll see things as God sees them. We have to learn to see things as God sees them. How do you do that? It takes the time. You've got to be putting in the word of God. You've got to be sitting down with God and saying, God, take me into the heavenlies. He'll take you. Give me your eyes to see what you're doing. It takes practice. It takes taking time. But it'll change how you see the world. That you'll be like Daniel and you'll be able to speak in a situation and say, I know what your dream is. I know what it means. You'll be able to discern and have the answer like Elisha did to overcoming any situation in in your home life, in your workplace, in your family. And when things get tough, you'll see God's angels working for you. Because Satan is really, really, he's just, a little, he's just a little worm. When you understand that he is a pathetic little worm that can't do a thing, he's just fat. He's been eating, he's been eating, the good, been eating all the cakes and he's just fat. And he's powerless. And the only power he has is fear. That's why he says that battle is not against flesh and blood. But principalities and powers. It says that we put on the armor of God. What are they? It's righteousness. It means you're right before God. The belt of truth. Because the truth is, he's defeated. The helmet of salvation. That you are saved and devil cannot touch you. You have a shield of faith. And it says it quenches the fiery darts of the enemy. That no weapon formed against you can prosper or hurt you. Yeah, the weapons are formed against you, but they can't hurt you. And so on. We've got to change how we think, people. Let's hang out with God and say, God, show us your way of thinking. And he'll show you. And you've got to be putting in that word of God. And let's take on the fire. Let's take on the lions. Let's take on the armies. A move in the power of God. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, I thank you that you came to give us life abundant. That you came to give us overcoming power. I pray, teach us, Lord, how to more and more be able to walk in the heavenlies. To be able to walk with you, to see life as you see it. Lord, not from the way the world sees of fear and failure, but Lord, to see it from a place of power, a place of authority in you. That no weapon formed against us can prosper. That no plan of the enemy can overcome us. That even though, Lord, you said he came to steal and to kill and destroy, 
you give us abundant life and that we have that now in you. Lord, I pray every person here, whatever situation they're facing, Lord, I pray for heavenly revelation to overcome it. Father, for financial situations, financial pressures, Lord, where the heat's going up there. Father, I pray revelation and release there in the name of Jesus. For those who are struggling with sickness, we speak to that sickness and disease by the authority of Jesus Christ and command it to lift off now in the name of Jesus. Let there be healing. Healing. Lord, whatever the diagnosis, Lord, we speak healing now in the name of Jesus. Let there be peace. Let there be peace now. Let there be peace now in Jesus' name. Healing and wholeness now. Healing and wholeness now. Oh, we bless you, Lord. We worship you. We honor you in Jesus' name. There's a presence of God here. If, you, if you're a tongue prayer, if you pray in tongues, then pray, start praying right now. Just start praying in tongues now. Hallelujah. Jesus. Lord, we thank you for your presence. We receive your healing now. We receive your deliverance now in the Jesus' name. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Jesus. Lord, a blessing on every person here now in the name of Jesus. Blessing in Jesus' name. Oh, I really sense God's lingering. He's here. He's, he's doing something. If you've been struggling with sickness, just, just reach out to him now. He's got healing for you. Set free in Jesus' name. Set free in Jesus' name. Set free in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Bless your name, Lord. Bless your name. We worship you, honey, in Jesus' name. Amen.